We learn from the Scriptures that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have prayed fervently this week, as I know you have, in looking forward to this meeting and has been your long-standing practice, and I know it will be in the future as well, of your interest in the souls of men. And during the days of Abraham and Lot, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and it was a terrible decision that he made. He got wrapped up in it. When God eventually told Abraham, I'm going to destroy the place, with pleading of Abraham, he said, if ten righteous souls could be found, he would not destroy the city for sake of his servant Abraham, and not even ten could be found. Our nation today is full of ungodliness and unrighteousness and looks like it's spiraling downhill continually with all the, the stuff that's going on and direct contradiction of God's Word. But I know from our experience in travel, there's more than 10, far more than 10. There are a lot of brethren have gone by the wayside. They don't even know it. They think they're faithful, but they're not faithful. But there are a lot of faithful congregations, and there are faithful brethren out there. And I'm glad to know of your existence here and that you're holding the line and seeking to please the Lord and not go along with the liberalism and things of that sort. Appreciate the opportunity, the invitation to get to come and to be here. And as I with you wish this place was packed and you have to get all the chairs out, wouldn't that be wonderful? But through the means of technology, we're making recordings of it as we have all week and tonight as well. And we post that. We don't know who's going to listen to it and where it will end up. As I'd mentioned earlier about some folks that we had converted in the uh, state of Oregon, not knowing to, by us, but they were listening and watching our streaming and the videos that we post online. We had no clue. And uh, they were watching it. And to this date, of those we know about, there's been about 21 people that have been baptized and far more in the process even now being taught. And a lot of the uh, children not included in that 21 that are now have Christian parents and are going to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What a blessing that is. So we don't know. Uh, God knows though. He knows where it goes and His Word will not return unto Him void. I do appreciate your prayers for me and, and especially tomorrow and their trip uh, going uh, back home. Is our lesson tonight is about sin. Sin comes about through the process of being tempted. The devil is as a roaring lion walking about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He is there ferocious. He is there trying his best to tempt us. But we need to learn from God's Word how to resist yielding to temptation. Now, we're going to be tempted. In James chapter 1, we read about verse 12, 13, and 14 that no man can say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when drawn away of his own lust. We're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust. In that sense, we're told that God does not tempt us. And from what the reading is there, it does not appear that the devil, as it were, could even tempt us. We're drawn away of our own lust. But now the devil is there agging it on, wanting us to look, wanting us to think, wanting us to lust, wanting us to go, and all the avenues through which that can come. So we're tempted by being drawn away of our own lust. And if we're human, we do that. In 1 John chapter 2, we read in verse 1, John is characterized as being the apostle of love. Jesus was love and John was a loving apostle of his. And John would write then, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came and died for the forgiveness of sins of the entire human race. He made that available, and that's his desire, but it's up to individuals to heed what he has said. And here he says, don't sin. Aren't we like that? We strive not to sin. But human, it comes along and we're tempted. It's not sinful to be tempted. If so, the Lord would have sinned because in John chapter 4, or Matthew chapter 4 rather, we read that the Lord was tempted, but yet had no sin. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, he was tempted in all areas, in all categories, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So it's not the temptation that is sin. Sin comes when we yield to that temptation. We give in to that temptation. And we do that which we have been tempted of our own heart and our own lust. Think about this passage. In 1 John chapter 2, we read verse 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then he tells us what's in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It is us. There we find three categories, three major groups into which all sin, temptation and sin, can fall. There's all kinds of different lusts and temptations, but by category, there's only three. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You name whatever the temptation is, then they're going to fit in one or more of those three categories. That's why it is said, as we just quoted in Hebrews 4, verse 15, 
that the Lord was tempted in all points like as we are, all categories, all groups just like we are. Was the Lord ever tempted with crack cocaine? No, it didn't exist back then. That's man's chemically produced drug. It's not a natural substance. Was he uh, tempted by methamphetamines? The terrible drug of that? No, that didn't exist either. So how could the Bible say he was tempted just like we are? Well, because of the category. Drugs fall into the category of the lust of the flesh, the cravings of our body and the flesh there. So he was tempted in all points just like as we are. So what a wonderful thing then it would be for us to look at the scriptures and see what has God given us in the word that would help us resist temptation. That would help us don't yield, don't give in to temptation. Walk away and don't go there. And sin comes when we go there, when we don't walk away, when we fulfill the desires that we have of those three categories. And now, when we read Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to find four areas, four things that God describes that if we will do, if we will keep in mind, if we will observe, then we will not yield to that temptation. When temptation comes, and it's going to come, that's just natural, it's going to be there. The matter is, am I going to resist it and not involve myself in it, or will I give in? So here we're going to learn four things. We're going to read every verse. So if you've got your Bible, turn Proverbs 7 if you're not there already. We're going to read every verse in this chapter in four sections. Each section will give us information and words from God. Here's how you resist giving in to that temptation. Don't give in. Here's how we resist temptation. In Proverbs 7, we see that Solomon, the wise man Solomon, the son of David, this, uh, this king of Israel, he's one, as we said the other night, he said, I've been there, I've done that. He has tried it all, I've had it all. There's nothing we could ever face, nothing we could ever have or do that Solomon hadn't already done it. And he said, it's all vain, it's useless, it's barren, there's no value in it, all is vanity, he would say. So here, Solomon is recounting the life of a young man and giving him advice and counsel to avoid yielding to temptation. And here's point number one. We'll begin then in verse one. Proverbs 7, verse one. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, verse five, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. What guiding principle are we learning now from these five verses? To sum it up, it would be this. 
If we want to resist temptation and not yield to it, we, number one, need to keep God's Word as the controlling factor in our life. Every time we're tempted, we need to remember. We remember the Bible. Remember God's Word. And that will keep us, if we'll keep the Word, that'll keep us from yielding to that temptation. We need to learn and know the Word of God. Notice again the emphasis in these five verses on the Word of God. My son, keep my words and remember my commandments. Then he says, keep my commandments, keep my law, bind them, them, them. The laws, the commandments, the word of God, bind them. What do you do? We bind, we put on our clothes and we have zippers and buttons and belts and things that we strap around ourselves to hold it together. We bind the word of God. Where do we bind it? In our mind. We got to read it. We got to study it. We got to memorize it as best we can. We've got to have that concept, those principles, the law and commandments of God in our mind, and we keep them there. And then when we're tempted, oh, the Bible says that's evil. The Bible says don't do that. Don't go there. Don't look at that. Don't, don't do this. And we remember that. And if we'll remember that and walk away, because that's like a poisonous snake. We grow up thinking and knowing about copperheads, rattlesnakes, water moccasins, the varieties of venomous or poisonous snakes. And, and when that rattler goes and wiggling that tail, we, go, we get down its face and look at it and examine it a little bit closer. <laughs> We're going to go the other way. There's a warning. He's warning us. There's the temptation. Don't go the other way. When we're tempted, whatever means that is, Remember God's Word. Give me an example of it. The Lord said, I'll give you an example of it. In the ending part of chapter 3 of Matthew, there we will read about the Lord being baptized. In the beginning part of chapter 4 of Matthew, we learn that the devil taketh him out into the wilderness, and there he was tempted of Satan for 40 days. And the Bible says afterward he was hungry. Imagine so, having not eaten in 40 days, the Lord was hungry. We would say to starvation. And here comes the devil. And the devil presents this temptation to the Lord Christ. If thou be the Son of God. The devil knew who he was, but he wanted to cast that doubt in there. If, if thou be the Son of God. The devil knew he was the Son of God. But he didn't have that little dig if thou be the Son of God, command these stones that they may be made bread. How did the Lord resist that temptation? He had the power. He was God. He could command those stones to be made food, bread, and he could eat. Replenish his hunger. Hadn't eaten in 40 days. That was a temptation. He was tempted. We would consider that to be the lust of the flesh. Well, that's one of the three categories, the lust of the flesh, the fleshly desire for food. He was starving to death. But here's what the Lord did. The Lord quoted Scripture. He remembered Scripture. 
That's what this point is. Remember the scripture. And he quoted scripture to the devil. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. He remembered that passage. And he did not yield to the temptation there of the flesh. Afterwards, the Bible says that the devil takes him out to the holy city and sits him on a high pinnacle of the temple and says, cast thyself down. Now the devil gets in on quoting scripture now and the devil says, for it is written that the angels shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. There was the temptation of the pride of life have you ever seen the movies that I've never seen in real life about someone on a very, very high place, a skyscraper, a bridge, and they're about to you know, jump off, and all the news media, they're showing it. I just passed by one of our bridges here about a month ago, and there was a man sitting on the edge, over the edge of the river. And I thought, what is he doing? And I went on down the road, I did my business, come back, there was about six cop cars there they were trying to talk him off of that bridge well if the lord had jumped off that pinnacle the scripture would tell us that a bone of him could be broken and the angels would have lifted him up that's true and you imagine if he'd have done that and all the people gazing and wondering and they see him walking around untouched unscratched no problem whatsoever pride arrogance Ooh, look at me I'm, I'm, look who I am. That was a temptation. But the Lord said, it is written, just like he did the first time. The devil quoted scripture, but he misused the scripture, misapplied the scripture. We can do that sometimes. We can use scripture and misapply it, not use it correctly, use it for, the, for a wrong purpose. So the Lord quoted the scripture right back at him. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So he remembered that passage and he did not jump off that pinnacle. He would have yielded to that temptation. The lust of the pride of life. Category number two. Category number three. Remember after that. It didn't work. The devil tried to get him to make the stones into bread. That didn't work. I got another trick in his bag. He tried to get him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple about the pride. Oh, that didn't work. He got another temptation. He takes him out upon an exceeding high mountain. And there he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give thee these kingdoms. But the Lord said, it is written. He remembered scripture. It is written. Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. The devil was not going to get the Lord to uh, serve him. There's the three categories. All the ways in which we're tempted today, the Lord was tempted. There was the lust of the eyes to see all the kingdoms of the world. That was a temptation to the Lord. That's why we read he was tempted in all points just like us. We can never be able to say, well, nobody understands. Nobody in the world knows what I'm going through. No, you, you, you just don't know what, what I'm, I'm facing. That's sometimes people say that. But that would not be true, the Lord knows. He faced all of those things, but he did not yield to that temptation. Then if you will, turn back to the book of Genesis. In chapter three, you remember the story there where Adam and Eve was in the garden of Eden. And here come the old devil 
the serpent, and he talks to Eve. Hast God not said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden? For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, Eve agreed, yes, that is true. And the devil said, thou shalt not surely die. The exact quotation from God, but he added one little word, which was the wrong thing to do. Thou shalt not surely die. And then the Bible says all three categories, how Eve was tempted. When she saw that the fruit was good for food, there's the lust of the eyes. Just like us, just like the Lord. And she, he saw that the tree was desired to make one wise. There's the lust of the pride of life. And she tasted of the fruit thereof, and she saw that it was good for food and good to eat. So she was tempted in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, just like the Lord and just like us. And so what does Solomon which really was the Holy Spirit telling through him us, how do we resist temptation? Remember the Word of God. If we'll remember what the Bible teaches about whatever this temptation is and say, no, that's wrong. That's, that's sinful. That's going to cause me to be lost. I'm not going to do that. And if we obey the words of God, then we will not sin in that particular. We read, you remember in the... Uh, parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 13, other places. The Bible speaks about those seed that fell upon the good heart brings forth fruit. Those are the ones that hear the word of God and keep it. Here you go. We hear the word and what do we do? We don't dismiss it. We keep it. That means we obey it. We do what the word says. And that's the good soil when we hear the word of God and keep it. You remember in Acts 17, 11, when Paul and Silas had gone down to Berea, they taught them the word of God, and the Bible says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of heart. What? They received the word with all readiness of heart, and they searched the scriptures to see if these things be so. So again, we have all kinds of scripture in every place that would tell us those very things. Colossians 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word dwell, the word abide. And we can read dozens of scriptures, passages that speak the emphasis of the word of God. And so Solomon tells this young man, Remember the commandments. Keep the commandments. Don't violate the law of God. And we do that. How do we resist temptation? We remember the word of God. That's number one. Now let's go on and look at number two. We'll begin to begin here in uh, verse six of Proverbs seven. Verse six. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement and behold, young among the simple ones, I discerned among the youth a young man void of understanding. Verse 8, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. 
She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without. Now in the streets and lieth and waited every corner. So she caught him, verse 13, and kissed him. And with an impudent face, impudent means strong or hardened look, hard face, and said unto him, I have peace offerings with me this day. Have I paid my vows? Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. And I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. What's going on here? A woman of the attire of a harlot, a prostitute, a woman of the night, been in every generation of time, this young man knew where that street was. We used to call it, I don't know if we still call that today, the red light district. He knew where that was. And instead of avoiding that street, he went down that street. He walked down that way. And here comes out this woman and she grabs him and kisses on him. And there was a horrific temptation in all of that. Verse 8 says that she passed through the, he passed through the street near her corner and went the way to her house. One commendable thing about it, though, even though he made that terrible decision, it appears that he didn't have in mind to stop. He had in mind, I'm going to go down that way, but I can imagine, because I want to kind of glare, I want to kind of peek as I go by. I just want to kind of take a quick, I'm not going to stay, but he ends up staying. And she comes out and grabs a hold of him and kisses him, tempts him. There's, uh, everything's prepared and ready, come on in uh, to my house. In Proverbs 4, we go back about three chapters Notice what we read in verse 14. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not into the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. All of those points made, this young man did not do. This passage says, don't go there. Don't go the way of evil men. Avoid it. Don't pass that way. Then chapter 6 of Proverbs. Look at verse 27. Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? He said, you fight, play with fire, you're going to get burned. Think about this. I don't know, do y'all have proms down here? Back in Tennessee and places and high school proms in the spring when the Seniors and junior seniors, they get together and they have their party and have their big dance and things. Think about this. I've been asked many times through the years by young people, what about the prom? I say, stay away from it, sinful. You're putting yourself in the devil's hands. You're going right down the street that this young man went down. Well, would it be all right if I go and I, and I don't dance? I said, no, then you've got your problem with your influence. Who's going to know that you're not going to be out there dancing, wiggling? And I said, but here's what you do. If you end up going and near the boys and the girls and say, you asked one of the other, you want to dance? Get out there on the middle of the dance floor. And they, now, before you start wiggling, you tell this boy or this girl, let's bow our heads in prayer. 
And let's pray that our hands won't touch and slip and do places they ought not to be touching, that our body won't bump or move or rub any place it ought not rub. We'll pray that our minds will be pure and holy. And can you imagine a young person or an adult for that matter doing that? Dances and prayer don't mix. Dances is far removed from things holy and, and godly that you'll ever want to find yourself in. And we know that, but we want to do it anyway. But it's going to be fun. We want to be just like this young man. I want to go there. I'm not going to go where they want me to go. I just want to pass by. I just want to take a peek. That's not the way. Not the way of God. Everybody's going. I'll be, I'll be the laughing stock. All my friends are going. Why can't I go? Exodus 32. Exodus, well, actually, Exodus 23, verse 2. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. The majority is always wrong. You'll never find the majority right. It's always wrong. We find also in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, and in verse 15, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Verse 15, My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. The Lord tells us in Matthew 26 to watch and pray. We're not doing that if we put ourselves in the devil's den, drinking the devil's brew, or in a crowd or places that's everything from godly, everything from prayer. So what do we do in this point number two? What's the lesson that we learn? Well, how does we sum that up? We sum it up this way. Don't flirt with sin. That's the point. Number one, remember God's word. Number two, don't flirt with sin. Don't see how close you can get and not go all the way. And not yield to that temptation. Don't put yourself in that predicament. This young man apparently went down that way. He didn't have in mind to stop. He thought he'd be strong enough. I'll just walk right on through. But it ended up that it didn't, it didn't happen that way. So don't flirt with sin. Don't, don't go there. Don't put yourself in a place or a crowd or a situation where you're going to be tempted and possibly yield to that temptation. Nobody's that strong. We're not that strong. In Psalm 1, in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression there. My son, don't walk by don't go that direction. Don't walk that way. But if you do, don't stop. But if you stop, sure don't sit down. That's what he was doing. That's the caution here. Don't go there. Don't stop. Don't sit down. Don't get in the middle of it. One of the greatest examples we can think of is Joseph. Remember Joseph? He was brother sold him into bondage down in Egypt. Genesis 39 and verse 10 he ended up in the house of uh, Potiphar's wife. 
or in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar uh, blessed him. But his wife, the Bible says in Genesis 39.10, that she spake unto Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her nor to be with her. Doesn't that don't flirt with sin. She tried every single day, whispering in his ear, trying to get him all alone. Everything's good, everything. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Let's go on then, number three. Point number three, Proverbs 7. We'll pick up verse 18. This young woman comes out. She grabs this boy. And says, come, let us take our fill of love unto the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He's gone a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. And with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. There's the evidence that we have. He didn't have in mind to stop. He was just going to take a peek, just going to kind of look as he went by. But she had to force him. She begged him. She said, look, nobody's at home. My husband's gone on a business trip. And he took a big bag of money with him and he ain't coming back tomorrow. So we'll have the whole night to ourselves. He ain't going to come back till the business is over. What lesson do we learn here? We learn that God is watching. God sees everything we do. Her advice was, all the servants have been ordered out of the house. They're all gone. They know not to come back into this house. There's nobody here but me and you. My husband's gone. Nobody's going to know. We'll be here all night all by ourselves. Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will ever know. God knows. How do we resist temptation? Number one, we remember the Word of God. Number two, we remember don't flirt with sin. Don't see how close we can get. Number three, we need to remember God's always watching. God has, God has an all-seeing eye. We sometimes sing a song like that. An all-seeing eye is watching you. Nothing is secret with God. So it may be that her husband would not find out. All the servants wouldn't know. Nobody would know. God knows. He's the one that counts. God sees everything we do, every place we go, and all of those points are very, very clear. So, Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Job 28, verse 24, For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heavens. In the New Testament, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, 4 and verse 12, Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of joints and marrows and the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows the word of God pierces. It's like an x-ray. Looks plumb through us. 
And reading our thoughts, even what we think, are not private with God. He sees and He knows it all. So what do we remember? We want to resist temptation. We remember God's watching. God sees it. God knows. He knows exactly what is going on. We go back to the example there of Joseph. And Joseph, this time, we look in chapter 39 of Genesis and verse 9. Joseph's reply to Potiphar's wife was, How can we do this great evil and sin against God? Potiphar was not there. The servants weren't there. Nobody in the house. But yet Joseph knew God knew what they were doing or would be doing. He said, how can we do this great evil and sin against God? What a stellar character Joseph was. What a great, great example. Then let's look at the point number four, beginning in verse 22. Proverbs 7, verse 22. This young man goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver. As a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it was for his life. Verse 24, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart de decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Verse 36, For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. So you can see the scenario of this entire proceeding. He goes down the street, she comes out and grabs him, and then the final result is, here's point number four. Not only is God watching, but there's a payday someday. There's a judgment day. The final end, as a bird, goes and flies into a trap, not knowing that it was for its death. And all these examples here that innocently these animals would do these things and be trapped and be killed. We can do the same thing. We'll be judged one day by the God of heaven above. He sees it. It'll be a fair judgment. It'll be an honest judgment. There'll be nothing we can explain to him that he needs to know because he already knows it all. And that's the great point that we can learn here. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages, the payment, what you've earned by sinning is death. Death means separation from God. We know we're going to die physically. That's not talking about physical death. talking about spiritual death. The wages of sinning is eternal separation from God. There's a payday coming. We read in Isaiah 3 in verse 11, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. Galatians 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're going to reap what we sow. We'll get a paid for what we do. And when God sees that, it's a just punishment because we earned it. We yielded to the temptation. So here's the point. 
Four lessons. How do we resist temptation? Number one, remember the Bible. Remember God's Word and what it says about whatever that we're tempted to do. Number two, we don't flirt with sin. Don't see how close we can get and not get burned, not, not get in the middle of it. Number three, remember that sin has a price. God sees it. He sees exactly what it is. And number four, there's a judgment day. There's a judgment day. We remember those four things. We'll be far, far better off. We still won't be sinless. That's just the nature of it, but it won't be deliberate. We have gone a long way to keep ourselves from uh, resisting to those temptations. What a grand story this is. An Old Testament example, but the principle of it is just as valid today as it always has been. This is one of those areas in Romans 15, 4, the things written aforetime are written for our learning. So we've learned from this Old Testament book how to resist temptation and to be the better servant for the Lord that we can be. Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel or you need to come back and have prayer made on your behalf for some public sin, you can make that known and we can be praying for you. You can be forgiven because the Lord's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come repentance. So tonight, if you need to come, we want you to do that as we stand and sing.